Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we approach your word this morning in the book of Romans, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds through your spirit. I pray, Lord, that we would cling to it, that we would rely on it, and that we'd proclaim it. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we continue our study of the doxology found at the end of Paul's letter to the Romans. And if you had to place the theme on the doxology, I would argue that the theme is the theme of salvation. And my argument for that is that in verse 25, Paul writes that Christ establishes us through preaching. In other words, we come to a saving knowledge through preaching. In addition, in verse 26, he says that we also are established through the prophetic word. In other words, you and I are saved through those actions that Christ uses to illuminate and open our hearts and minds to where we grasp the meaning of the gospel. And if this is the theme of the doxology, it begs the question, what is salvation? If the theme is salvation, what is salvation? And unfortunately, when you ask most people this question, the response is, is that salvation is about heaven. That's it. That salvation is about heaven. They mistakenly believe that heaven and salvation are synonymous. And earlier in our study, I addressed this and described this view of salvation as two bookends is that one bookend is when you come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then the other bookend is when you go to heaven. And in between those two bookends, in that particular view, there's this void and that you just kind of live your life how you want to live it. And then when you get to heaven, well, you pull out your token, if you will, to enter into the gates of heaven. And that's it. That's the whole view of salvation. This is a horrible view of salvation, by the way. Not only is it biblically incorrect, it also robs us of the richness of salvation and what salvation means for for all of us. So if salvation isn't about heaven, if it's just not this currency, if you will, that Christ gives us in which we get to go to heaven, what's it about? Well, let's look at the doxology because Paul gives us the answer. Romans 16, verses 25 through 27, which has been our focal verses for the past several weeks. Paul wrote, now to him, there again in reference to Jesus Christ, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest... And by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God, 
alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. What salvation? You have it there in verse 26. For obedience to the faith. For obedience to the faith. In Romans, this isn't the first time we have read this phrase. If you go to the very beginning of Romans, Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 1, Paul opened his letter by writing, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through Him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. There you see it again. For obedience to the faith among all nations for His name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. So Paul opens his letter... And he closes his letter with this phrase, for obedience to the faith. This is the phrase that Paul is using to describe salvation, for obedience to the faith. Now at the opening of the letter, Paul writes that God made him an apostle. Well, what's the definition of an apostle? It's a messenger. So Paul is saying, I am a messenger of salvation. And of course, the phrase that he uses for salvation is obedience to faith. In the Christian Standard Bible, it reads, To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles. So there you have the words describing salvation, that salvation was to come to us. Now, if you think about the word obedient, there's an implication there. And that word obedient implies a subservient relationship, doesn't it? That we're to obey someone. It means that we have a subservient relationship. Now, in our flesh, we don't like that, do we? We don't like subservient relationships. We want to be our own person, don't we, in our flesh. We want to call the shots. We don't want to take advice. We don't want to surrender ourselves to someone. But look back in Romans 1 when Paul opens up the letter. How does he describe himself? He says, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. In other words, he said, I have a subservient relationship. Jesus is above me. And I am putting my life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So when you look at it in that terms, the obedience to the faith, it has an implication that 
Christ is over all and we come to a saving knowledge and we live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I remember years back, there was this idea of Lordship salvation. It's a false teaching, by the way, but there's a, there was this idea of Lordship salvation that you came to know Jesus Christ and then somewhere along the way, then you recognize that you should submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's not how it works. And in fact, it didn't work that way with Paul. Paul submitted himself to the Lordship of Christ immediately. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 3. We're on the road to Damascus. And in verse 3... It says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And look at the question he asked in verse 5. He goes, Paul said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So Jesus identifies himself. So Jesus identifies himself. And look at the very next thing in verse 6. Paul is trembling and astonished. And look at the very next word out of the mouth of Paul. He said, Lord, Lord. This view of Christianity that Paul was going about and persecuting when he meets Jesus Christ, he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? The subservient relationship that Paul had with Jesus Christ began immediately. It wasn't an epiphany that he encountered later on. Lord, what do you want me to do? Look at what Jesus tells him. In verse 6, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Sounds subservient to me, doesn't it? Not only was this limited to Paul, it encompasses the whole church. And in fact, it should encompass our whole life. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to read verses 1 through 6. Paul says, Now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in the presence am lowly among you, but being absent am bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some, who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh." For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. In other words, when you look at that phrase, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, Paul is telling that us that our desires, our thoughts, our intentions are to be brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In other words, every single thing in our life 
should be subjected to the Lord Jesus Christ. We should submit our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the obedience to the faith. I love that old invitation hymn, I Surrender All. We sing, I surrender all. We don't sing, I acknowledge all. We don't sing, I recognize. It says, surrender, surrender. When Christ told the rich young ruler that to obtain eternal life, he had to give up everything. That points to the relationship that we all have when we have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That every single thing in our life is surrendered to Jesus Christ. Every single thing. He's Lord. He is Lord. And our salvation isn't acknowledging Jesus Christ's existence. There's a TV commercial going on right now. And the way that salvation is portrayed in the TV commercial is just acknowledge Christ. Just acknowledge Christ. And you'll go to heaven. There's no mention of the word repentance. There's no mention of the word surrender. And unfortunately, there's people that might be sitting in their home and the pastor goes, Hey, just acknowledge Jesus Christ. Ask Jesus Christ in your heart. And people go, well, that's easy enough. But there's a cost, isn't there? Christ told us to count the cost. And that cost is surrendering ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Belief, the acknowledgement of Jesus Christ, of the historical Jesus, is not enough to have a saving faith. In James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Faith without works is dead. Later on in that same chapter, verse 26, it says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Another way to look at this is, is that our faith is living. If we have a saving faith, we have a living faith, a faith in action. Now, if my faith is an active faith, it means that I am being obedient to the teachings and truths of Jesus Christ. Paul described this earlier. In the 15th chapter of Romans, in verse 16, it says, God's purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. God's purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. 
earlier in chapter 14, verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God. Think about that. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God. For the last several decades, we have had this idea of a cheap salvation. And I know it has been a center point of my ministry to preach against a cheap salvation. But if you want to think about how salvation has become cheap in this church, just go and look at Christian pollsters and how many young people that profess the name of Jesus Christ are living in fornication. It's extremely concerning. Especially when the Bible says that fornicators will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Why is that? Because salvation is obedience to the faith. We're called out. We're given the Holy Spirit and through the power of His Spirit, He changes us. He changes our desires. He changes our thoughts. He changes our motivation. It's obedience to the faith. And we're living in a world where Christianity is painted as disbelief in the historical Jesus, and you can do whatever you want to in life, and you get to heaven, and you're going to pull out your token, and you're going to get in, and that is a lie from hell. It is an absolute lie. And young people who profess the name of Jesus Christ and who are living a life of fornication are living a lie. They're living a lie. Any of us that are captured by sin and are living a life of sin but profess the name of Jesus Christ needs to review their life and say, am I really saved? I remember growing up, I was taught, oh, don't question your salvation. You better not question your salvation. It's a sin to question your salvation. Do I believe in the assurance of the saints? Absolutely. But the Bible also tells us to work out our salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. Looking at our life and saying, in my life, do I have evidence that Christ has redeemed me with his power? Obedience to faith. Obedience to faith. And in fact, Our obedience is how we're identified in heaven. We read this verse in Revelation 17 on Wednesday. And I got home and I told Kathy, I said, you know, it's amazing to me how, and it shouldn't be amazing to me because the Bible's a living book. But we read this verse in Revelation 17 and and it just grabbed a hold of me. And I love the phrasing. Turn with me to Revelation 17, verse 12. And where you're picking this up in Revelation is Christ is about to, to battle the world's armies. And in Revelation 17, 12, it says, The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as of yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. 
These are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them. For he is the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. I love that. Called, chosen, and faithful. In other words, our life reflects the power of the Almighty God. The cross is a cross of power. The cross is not a symbol of of acknowledgement. It is a symbol of power that we have been saved, we've been redeemed, and we are being sanctified. In other words, we're being moved towards holiness with the power of God, called, chosen, and faithful. Now, you may say to yourself, well, my goodness, I got to leave from here and, and I got to be obedient. And I agree with that. We do need to be obedient. But how does one go about being obedient? It is not through the human pursuit of morality. It's not through the human pursuit of morality. I remember as a teenager, preachers would preach on morality and I would be convicted and I would leave the church and I'm thinking, I've got to be a moral person. I've got to pursue morality. And I will have to tell you that it ended up in failure every single time. In fact, I think that the church does a very poor job in explaining how we go from accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and how the sanctification process works. Too many times, sanctification is presented as a pursuit of morality. So if pursuing morality doesn't establish you in the faith or you're not obedient in the faith, How does one become obedient in the faith? And I will tell you that the answer is the complete surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. The complete surrender. And how often does one surrender? People say, well, I surrendered back when I met Christ. Well, Paul said that he died daily. Daily. And if we're truthful with ourselves, we have to die daily, don't we? In other words, we have to put ourselves in our will, in our desires, in our motivations at the feet of Jesus every single day. We should do just as Paul did and die Daily. We should surrender. Now, we used to take these words for granted. And years ago, you could use these type of words, and there was a commonality of belief, and people would know what you are talking about. And when you think about this idea of surrendering to Jesus, and I remember growing up, and that was the common phrase, right? You need to surrender to Jesus. 
Well, what does that really mean in a practical sense? Well, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. Peter wrote this, But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. After you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. When you look at that, you suffer, and then Christ through His power brings us to obedience. Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle. Now let's put some daily living to this. I was under a false premise when I was younger. I thought as one got older, life would get easier. Uh, That's not true, is it? When we surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, what we are doing is we are applying Christ's answers to life's everyday struggles. We're taking the Bible and we're applying it to our daily struggle. Now, what that means is, is that there's more of Christ and less of us. There's more of Christ and less of us. And when you dwell in his word and you spend time in prayer and you search the word in your life and you're saying, this is what I'm going through. Where are the answers in the Bible? What would Christ have me do? There's more of Christ than you, and you become obedient to the faith. You grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example of this. In Paul's own life, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you remember, Paul has this thorn in the flesh. And I remember as a kid, everybody would say, well, that's a physical malady. I agree with John MacArthur. If you look at this in the original language, this is a really bad person that Paul is having to deal with. This isn't a physical illness. He's having a relationship with somebody that's not pleasant. Those are never fun, right? Those are never fun. Now, if you think about it, if you take that premise that this is about a relationship, of somebody that he's having to deal with, it's difficult. Well, if you think about it, the natural inclination for us is, is first of all, what do we do? We go talk to a friend or we gripe to a friend. We're in a daily struggle. We go and we gripe to a friend or we gripe to a family member. And we do something that just drives me absolutely up up the wall. What do you think? What do you think? If you want the best advice, If you want the advice that will never, ever mislead you, if you want the advice that never, ever will disappoint you, what do you do? You pick up the book and you go to the Lord in prayer. And that's what Paul did, didn't he? He prayed three times. And what did he pray for? He prayed for something that you and I would pray for. Get this person out of my life. Remove the thorn. But remember the words of Christ, 
My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Christ at work. Christ at work. So when we look back at 1 Peter 5, when he wrote in verse 10, After you have suffered a while, Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, and strengthen, and settle you. Christ is at work in our life and He uses all things to move us so that we can glorify Him in our faith. That is what salvation is about. Is that we look at our life. Our life isn't two bookends with a void in between. And then we get to heaven and we pull out a token and go, okay, let me walk through the turnstile. Our life is about the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we glorify Christ by being obedient in the faith. And I can guarantee you this. When you put more of Christ in your life. When you search His Scripture. When you find His Word and apply it to your life. You will have a joy in your life despite your circumstances. It's what Paul said, right? A peace that surpasses what? All understanding. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what salvation is. I first came to salvation in 1976. How boring to think that would be if I sat there and said, I'm not going to encounter God. I'm not going to grow. I'm not going to be obedient until God calls me home. That's nowhere in the Bible. We're called and we're sanctified by His power, and we're moved along. And the longer that we serve Him, it gets sweeter and sweeter, recognizing that the whole world will one day be at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody will bend the knee, because He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and we will bend the knee, and we will be in that relationship Because we don't deserve salvation. We don't merit it. He gave it to us in spite of ourselves. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this morning. And we thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would all pursue our salvation with fear and trembling. I pray, Lord, that we would recognize that the only peace and joy that we have in this life is to pursue Christ, to apply the teachings of Christ in our life. I pray, Lord, that you might use us as a witness to share Christ, the complete story of Christ, to ones that don't know you. Lord, we give you the praise and glory in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. 
For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.